0: The following program was pre-recorded. On WFAN, it's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction.
1: It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. All right, good morning. Welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Great to have you here, Craig Carton, for the next 30 minutes. A frank, honest, open conversation about gambling addiction and folks like me who succumbed to the addiction and went down a very uh, negative, slippery slope. I'm um, happy to have with us today the CEO of Epic Risk Management and also a gambler in recovery, Paul Buck. Paul is, uh, as they say, across the pond right now as uh, we have this conversation. Paul, uh, it's good talking to you. I haven't seen you in a bit. First and foremost, thank you for coming on, and how are you?
0: Hi, Craig. I'm really well. Thank you. Uh, nice, uh, nice. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm over just outside Manchester in England at the moment, although uh, I think I spend as much time over in uh, in your country as mine at the moment. But uh, yeah, uh, as we speak, I'm in Manchester.
1: Well, listen, one day we're going to fully convert you to be a New Yorker, but that day's uh, not going to happen today. OK,
0: <laughs> I hope so.
1: All right, so before I get into Epic and all the great work you guys are doing, uh, I find your story to be fascinating, and you and I have a number of uh, parallels, of course, as you know, but for my audience's sake, if you don't mind just sharing a bit of your life story. uh, First and foremost, how long has it been since you last gambled? And we'll start with that.
0: Yeah, November the 27th, 2011 was the last day that I gambled, so... Uh, coming up to, to to twelve years in November this year, so uh, yeah something I'm pretty proud of as we all are in recovery yep um and 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 something I wouldn't go back to if you if you pay me all the tea in China
1: yeah, I'm with you on that. And congratulations because that's it's a great accomplishment and for any uh, anyone who's got a family, a loved one, a friend, or even themselves who have dealt with any level of addiction you know the the joy of sobriety and recovery is real, and we do take great pride in it, and every day is a meaningful day. Uh, your story, you know, is interesting because, you know, you lost your freedom as well as a result of bad decisions centered around gambling. So I'm wondering if we could start a little bit at, for you uh, at the beginning. When did you start gambling and when were you first exposed to it? And this is going to seem like a silly question. What sports or were you gambling on or was it more casino type action? What? what how did it start for you?
0: Yeah, it started for me, you know, I'd had 18 years of my life uh, at home. So in the UK, obviously, you have to be 18 before you can gamble. I know it's 21 over in the States, in in most states anyway. Um, And for me, I played a lot of sport growing up. I played a lot of football or soccer, as you guys call it, Mm -hmm. and and cricket um, and things like that. But I'd never really been interested in gambling in those days. Um, And then I went to university, which you call college, uh, at 18. And... um, I joined the soccer team and there was a, there was a, there was a squad of 16 chosen. Um, and even in those days when gambling was harder, because over here you had to go into a betting shop, you had to pay in cash and, and everything else. Even in those days, the other 15 lads who were chosen in that, in that soccer squad uh, were big gamblers. And really it was a case of you either get involved in this or, um, you know, you're not going to be able to be part of that squad or part of that team. So I went into a bookies in October, 1994, aged 18 years, never placed a bet in my life. And I I find a horse that I'm going to back. It was running in blue and white. I sport a a soccer team called Preston North End, which most of you listeners probably haven't even heard of. They're in the championship for the one one division below the Premier League. Um, And I chose a jockey who was running in blue and white, and I put £10 each way on it. And um, the next seven minutes probably changed my life forever. But, you know, if that horse had done what it should have done and lost, because it had never (laughs) finished a race before... Then, you know, we might not have been sat here having this conversation today, but it didn't. It won. My £10 each way turned into £500 because it was 33 to 1. Um, And suddenly I was getting the endorphine and dopamine and serotonin releases that we're all very aware of, uh, the warm river going through your brain. Uh, And I was collecting £500 in cash. And from that day onwards, I was a gambler. And there really wasn't a day then for 17 years where I didn't place a bet in some form or the other. That was how easy it took me from being someone who had no interest in gambling whatsoever to gambling for 17 years and ending up in in uh, with a couple of really big rock bottoms.
1: Yeah, was there an aspect, when you look back on it now, where that win also made you like the cool kid in the locker room or the other guys that you were playing uh, soccer with or football with now came to and said, hey, Paul, who do you like in this race? Who do you like in this event? Did that start happening?
0: There was a little bit of that certainly at the start, a little bit of adulation, but a few, few sort of uh, – you know, clapping, and clapping on the back, and you know, oh, how did you choose that one, and all that kind of thing. But, but more for me, it wasn't that. It was more the trying to chase that feeling that, right. that win gave me. You know, I still remember now the feeling that that horse gave me as it went across that finishing line, and that's that's you know, many many years later, obviously. Sure. Um, and and I still remember it now. And I, I think what I was trying to do for the next 17 years was just trying to chase that feeling again, trying to get that feeling back. Now, just to give you an idea of how intense that was, you know, I have a. I've got married since. I've had three absolutely beautiful kids since. Uh, I've had a lot of things go well professionally, and some not so not so well, as you'll hear, I'm sure, as part of this call. But I have never ever had anything that gave me the feeling but that that of that horse going across that finishing line and winning that first bet.
1: Yeah, which uh, to a lot of people, you know, is you know is crazy, right? Because you've had you know you got married, you had kids, watched the birth of your kids, all these things that. You know, these amazing uh, life moments that bring out great emotions, and the fact that none of them captured or matched, uh, you know, a horse uh, you're running a mile and a half around a track, you know, tells you the depth of this addiction. When did it start becoming problematic for you?
0: Okay, so this is an interesting one, because, you know, we, we see people going from that first bet or that first big win into problem gambling or gambling addiction quite quickly but for me it wasn't you know I, I kept control of the three elements of it at the time the money and the commission really for for probably nine years probably certainly eight or nine years you know i i finished university i went into a a, a, a career in retail selling clothes of all things or a shop that sold clothes and then i became a financial advisor in in in, in england uh, in 2001 it was really at that point so you're talking seven or eight years later when it started to become a problem so my, my salary trebled overnight i had a lot more autonomy as long as i was hitting my targets my financial targets then my time was my own so i had more money i had more time i had more autonomy and that really wasn't a great um, a great concoction for me so really it was around 2000 and, sometime between 2001 and 2003 that I, I became it became really problematic and really at that point it completely took over my brain for the next eight to 10 years, you know, really, you know, family was growing, career was growing, but also the gambling addiction was growing and it was growing a lot faster than the other two.
1: Were you, Uh, were you like with your wife or your closest friends, your gambling, did it appear to them like, oh, that's just what Paul does. So it didn't, it didn't, you know, uh, ring any bells or set off alarms. If you were going to go to a casino for three or four hours, even if you went on a weekly basis or more than that, Was that, were you the guy, no, that's Paul, he's the gambler, no big deal? Or was there a point there uh, over the course of time where loved ones came to you and said, hey, buddy, you're spending a lot of time at the casino or talking about it or processing it, or you're not really here even though you're here? Like, I wonder if people in your life noticed something about you behaviorally.
0: Yeah, I would probably split that decade into two halves. In the first half, between 2001 and 2006, I was very open about my gambling. You know, I was... You know you talk about casinos you know I, I i did go to the casino but a lot for me was more around the, the racetrack the horse racetrack got it. Um, and then of course you've got online gambling starting to come in at that point with you know mobile phones and, and ipads becoming 24 7 it becoming anonymous it becoming a much easier to gamble uh much more you know you didn't have to go to the bookies with between nine and five and paying cash anymore you could gamble 24 7 on sure. any market anywhere around the world so you know, between two thousand, two thousand, two 2001, 2006, I was very open about it. I was, I was gambling with friends. I wasn't, you know, as far as they were concerned, I wasn't gambling excessively, although they would only have seen a snapshot of any one time. But then between 2006 and 2011, when it started getting really out of control and I started stealing money to gamble uh, and things like that, you know, I very much kept it hidden to myself. I kept it as a, you know, my own secret world and, you know, the irony was, you know, I thought it was gambling was the answer to everything, you know, and, and everything else was the problem. You know, Anna was the problem, the kids were a problem, work was the problem, the weather was the problem, everything else was the problem, and gambling was the answer. Where in reality, it was gambling sure. that was really destroying me, and and it just got worse and worse and worse until uh, some pretty huge rock bottoms in 2011.
1: Yeah, why don't we get into that uh, before the break? For you know, everyone, my you know rock bottom played out quite publicly, and that's uh, you know forfeiting my freedom. And uh, making bad decisions that no one held a gun to my head to make, you know, sadly. When I look back on it with great clarity now, what what an idiot I was in uh, getting involved with some of the people I got involved with. And obviously a lot of the life decisions I was making that just, you know, just stupid, don't make any sense at all. And then frankly didn't at the time. If I was thinking with a rational brain, which, you know, sadly I wasn't. What was, uh, what were your bottom of the barrel moments that led you on this amazing path you're now currently on? yeah so 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 so
0: two elements of it really i mean i mean as i said i had this decade-long addiction i never really thought i had a problem that's a really strange thing with mine i know a lot of people do do and try and give up and can't and relapse and everything i'd convinced myself with the old gambler's brain that you know i said gambling was the answer to everything and really it was a it was a flash moment in 2011 as i said november 2011 where we had a soccer player a premier league soccer player over here a guy called um Gary Speed, uh, who'd had a 20-year career with Newcastle, Everton and Leeds and others. And he was the manager of the Wales national team at the time. And he inexplicably took his own life, you know, unexplainedly, took his own life. He seemed to have everything going for him. He had uh, all the money in the world, supposedly from a 20-year Premier League career. He had a great family, friends and, and, and everything else. And he, as I said, he, he took his own life unexpectedly. And it sent shockwaves not only through the country, but, you know, the sports, country, sports world as well. And they had a number of uh, experts in one of our daily newspapers sort of um, try and summarize why would he have done that. And one of them was, you know, did he have a gambling problem? And I must stress he didn't. You know, he, 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 he had other things going on, but gambling wasn't the cause of that. But it was this article that made me realize that I had a gambling problem. Because what the medical professional said was, if you've got a gambling problem and it's, it's, it's truly pathological or addiction or, you know, whatever term we use, then you will be gambling until every penny or will, ga- will be gone you 'll gamble twenty three hours a day you'll you'll work on the minimum of, of sleep you know you won 't care about your friends you won 't care about your family or your occupation. This will be the thing that really takes over your mind and and everything else and while While she wasn 't talking about Gary, she was very definitely talking about me by that stage and you know I kept reading this article and kept reading this article and really having this huge realization around what, A, where I was, and B, what I'd been doing. Um, So I went missing for 10 days. I replaced the addiction to gambling on 27th of November, 2011, with probably an addiction to studying gambling and reading everything that had ever been written around. Uh, Gambling addiction um, from Singapore, from Australia, from Canada, from all these different countries. And then on the 10th day um, of of that kind of breakdown, I had to be back in my office uh, in the northwest of England because it was my turn to hold the divisional directors meeting. Um, and we did that in the morning, and at lunchtime my rock bottom came. You know, and, and a bit of a suicide warning here for any listeners. But you know, I, I did the the uh, call in the morning. I did the meeting in the morning with these guys, and then at lunchtime, and I hadn't really planned it. I hadn't, you know, I hadn't written a note or anything like that. But I went from my divisional office of, of Europe's largest bank up to a storeroom at the top of that building. Um, and my intention was to jump out the window onto the ceiling below onto the onto the pavement below you know I'd made the decision that Anna would be better off without me my wife my kids would be better off without me uh work would be better off without me and the world would be better off without me really and I'd made that decision that it was time to go and it was only the fact that I couldn't open the window Mm. that stopped me from doing that so I did what you know I considered the next best thing at that point I took my tie off I hung it on a beam up in the ceiling and you know, I stood up on a chair, put my neck through it and kicked the chair away. And very, very lucky to, to be here at all. Um, I was unconscious for about three hours. My head, I'd, I'd, I'd cut all my head open. I'd, I'd, I'd you know, ripped my suit, smashed my glasses and everything. I'd obviously fallen, fallen to the floor. Um, but, you know, the medical professionals were pretty amazed that I was still around. Um, and then I went and changed my mum's life forever. I went and told her what happened. um, you know rather than being the finance professional with great family great friends you know all right he's changed his personality a little bit but why wouldn't he he's got a high-powered job now your son is a gambling addict who's got a million quids of debt and worse to come and then i've got to go and have the same conversation with my wife an hour later and basically tell her that her whole married life had been i'd had this third world going on which was gambling which she wasn't really aware of which you know was going to lead to huge repercussions um and and yeah i'm gonna to have to go into work and tell them what i've done tomorrow and and sure enough the day after i went into work and told them that of the you know 1.7 million dollars that i'd i lost over half a million dollars of it was 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 santander's money uh and i'd run out of money five years before and just started transferring monies from 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 their account into my account and from their client's account into my account to fund it and I think Craig you'll you'll know this you know as a gambler you'll always gamble more than you can afford I was I was earning an awful lot of money at the time big six figure salaries but it was never going to be enough I could have been earning 5 million I would have gambled 6 million and you always gamble beyond your means because you know this this addiction it takes over it takes over your mind it takes over your thinking and you lose the value of money you lose the value of
1: Well that that was the modeled. big thing <laughs> you yeah, know that's a big thing the value of a of the dollar where You know, I was blessed, you know, like you, I was making a lot of money, more money than I could ever imagine making in my lifetime, and I got to the point that the amount I was wagering was so absurd that I couldn't, and by the way, and I own this, I couldn't do it today. I couldn't sit down today and play with, you know, $5 chips, $25 chips, $100 chips, I know that about myself now, that it just wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't satisfy whatever that urge that probably still lies deep in my DNA is uh, and that's the really scary thing. that I was willing to have my mortgage on the table in front of me and hope that the dealer turned over you know, a queen, uh, which yeah. is crazy. We're going to take a quick break and continue on here with uh, Paul Buck, the CEO of Epic Risk Management, in just a moment.
0: Back to more of "Hello, my name is Craig" on the Fan with
1: your host Craig Carton and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey eight hundred Gambler. Welcome back to "Hello, my name is Craig." Happy to have Paul Buck, Epic Risk Management. As many of you know, Dan Trullaro has co-hosted this show with me since we started uh, two and a half years ago, and Danny works for Epic Risk Management and does a great job touring the nation, talking to uh, college athletes about the potential dangers of gambling. Now that it's become so widespread, and uh, Paul is the CEO. Before I get to Epic, Paul, obviously, as you're coming clean now with people and you have to come to terms with the fact that you've stolen money, where along the journey did you have the epiphany of not only am I going to try to fight this addiction uh, on a personal level and live a healthier lifestyle, but I'm going to use my life experience for my future job and help other people. How did that come about?
0: Yeah, that, that, that was a, a, a quite a real logical uh, progression, really. So I, I said I handed myself in on the uh, December the 8th, 2011. I was, of course, I was arrested. Uh, I was put on bail. I was on bail for about seven months. At that, During that time, you know, I was having finances ripped apart. There was a lot of legal things going on. I was also having to learn how to talk to my kids again and talk to my wife again and things like that. You know, it was, at the one time I needed that, emotional crutch of that escapism of gambling it wasn't there obviously because i'd I'd stopped gambling But you know i sure enough in june 29 2012 i ended up in court and i ended up getting sent to prison for two years eight months so i got a sentence of two years eight months and served about a a year of 11 and a half months to a year and it was really in there you know i was it's about using your time constructively was away from family away from friends career over in many ways and it was a decision to make you know do you go out there and get a job and do whatever you can to support your family? Or do you actually go out there and use those experiences of, of a decade-long addiction and, the, and the, 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 the consequences of that to try and stop people going down the same route, going down the same path that I did? And that was a decision I made pretty quickly. And to be honest, I had nine or ten months in prison where I could uh, actually put that plan together. You know, how does that work? What does prevention really look like? What does harm prevention really mean? Where's the biggest problems? Which sectors have the biggest problems? Where can you go and work to actually make the biggest difference? Um, And all that. So I I spent that time, um, you know, I said, locks away from family and and career over to actually put that all together. Epic being education, prevention, identification, control. And it's really, how do we stop people getting to the edge of that cliff that you and I and so many others fall off? Um, And, and, you know, it seemed to be that education and awareness bit. Uh, It seemed to be that kind of, um you know consulting bit around how can we how can this stop this risk to organizations and to people and when i came out in june 2013 you know it was a very much a one-man band and then i came across um a guy who i think you've had as a guest before mark potter an ex-rugby player from yes from, from northwest of england and uh, i said to him look i've no money you know we're starting from scratch but you know i'd really love to go and stop this happening to other people and go around schools and sports clubs and, and banks and everywhere else and, and, and try and stop this this happening and causing harm. And he just said straight away, I'm up for it. You know, we'll, we'll work it out as we go along. And, you know, over the, you know, that was in 2013. And now sort of we're coming up to our 10th anniversary and we've worked in 28 different countries. Um, we've got 45 members of staff now, which of which 25 are people who've really suffered harm at the really most serious levels. Uh, from all different backgrounds and professions and everything. And we, we very much go along that education awareness. Yeah, let me stop you there
1: for a second, because oh, yeah. I think it's important, you know, because as, you know, gambling has spread uh, as much as it has here in the States, you know, a lot of people pop up, you know, put a shingle out and decide, you know, they're going to be the voice of this, the voice of that. And I, one of the things that I admire most about what you guys do, and I've had, for the audience' sake, I've had the privilege and pleasure of attending uh, one of the, uh, the Epic uh, Workshops, at the uh, 4040 Club uh, about a year or so ago. And one of the things I respect the most about what you guys do is that you don't preach because, you know, preaching, you know, it works for some people, obviously, but it doesn't work for everybody. You share your stories and you make people aware of what the addiction looks like behaviorally and, and what things can be done, you know, to help folks out that may not even know they need help. And that, that's one of the things I think. That really sets you guys apart that the majority of people I've met that do speak at your events have a personal story to tell that's real. It's not as if, you know, if I go into a college and I hear a history teacher talking about World War II, but the teacher's 40 years old, you know, they read it in a book like I did. If I hear a World War II veteran talk about it, you know, I'm not going to blink because I want to hear everything that person has to say because they lived it. And one of the great things I think you guys do in your conferences is speak from personal experience which is better than anything any you know doctor or researcher can speak about who hasn't lived it themselves. So well done in that regard.
0: No thanks, I appreciate that sentiment. It's certainly something which we wanted to do and continue to do now and will always do in the future is put lived experience at the heart of everything we do. So education awareness absolutely but even the training and consultancy we do it's still very much centered but from lived experiences yeah and those people who've done it and i think i think gambling we, i would never say that gambling is a more serious addiction than alcohol or drugs or, or any of the others but i think it is slightly different you know it's very illogical you know why when you when you're a you know drug addict or or or, or, or an alcoholic you understand that if you're pumping something into your body that you might become addicted to it whereas a lot of people with gambling, when 97 98 percent of people can stay in control of it and treat it as an entertainment you know they can't really understand if you're not actually pumping anything into your body why are you getting addicted to it why can't you just say no or stop doing it and i think that's where lived experience is so important that they can actually articulate you know what happened to them in their personal story why it happened what caused them to gamble what actually helped them to stop and you know i think that is incredibly powerful which is why we've always put Live yeah. experience right at the heart of everything we
1: do. Now, I know we only have a, a few seconds left here, but uh, I want to just get a quick overview from you. As, as gambling has spread, is there um, a group of people, is there an area of, our, of the United States of America that concerns you the most, that as more and more people experiment and maybe gamble for the first time or go down that road, especially from a mobile app uh, standpoint, what's the... Biggest concern that you guys have as an organization that now works with, you know, leagues and the NCAA and corporations and banks, etc. Where is your concern for the future?
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, we, we, as you said, we work with the NCAA, we work with all the major, well, most of the major leagues now, all but one. Um, You know, we work with different corporations, corporations, etc. There is one group and one population. That really does worry me over there, though. You know, you're a country of 320 million people, three and a half thousand miles wide, 50 different states, all with different or no regulation and rules around gambling. You know, it, it is something which there is a lot of harm coming down the way. That, that that that's for certain. And you know, the one group that worries me the most, I think, is your is your youth, is your under 21s, or, or certainly your under 18s. In that, you know, from what I can see and what I'm experiencing so far. You know, there is no education or awareness around this in high schools or in colleges. You know, obviously, we're doing some things with the NCAA now as a company. But, you know, when you look at the advertising, you look at how um, widespread it is. You look at how aggressive it is in many ways. You know, kids are going to be seeing these adverts. They are going to be seeing the almost glamorization of, of gambling in many ways. And, you know, their brains aren't ready to see that and not and make those logical decisions in some cases. And I think, you know, the biggest thing that I think needs to happen over there is these operators need to be aware of that. They need to make sure that it's tempered and not centered at kids or, or, or would be attracted to kids. But there also needs to be some education and awareness for that population, um, because similar with drugs and alcohol and stranger danger and body image and all these different things that they do get education around, there will be a percentage of people who get harmed by gambling. And if you've got education and awareness around it, it's far less likely you'll go over that. Invisible line into addiction. Well, so for it... me, it's that population, it's you're your under 21s and certainly you're under 18s.
1: Well, you know, I have kids that age, so uh, I'm sensitive to, it, uh, sensitive to it as well. Paul, I could talk to you all day. Hopefully, when you get back, we can uh, sit down and uh, chat some more in person. Uh, I really appreciate you and what you do on a personal level and also epic risk management. Uh, it means the world to me that we have this relationship. Thanks for sharing some of your very busy time today. And look forward to seeing you down the line very soon. Good job, bud.
0: Thanks. Really appreciate having us on crack. Thank you. Keep up the great work.
1: Take care. Be well.
0: Cheers. Bye-bye.
1: All right. That, again, was uh, Paul Buck, the CEO of Epic Risk Management and a gambler who's now got almost uh, 12 years uh, in recovery. And the stories are real and they're raw. And what he said there you know, means a lot to me that, you know, it's not, we're not saying it's, you know, any worse than uh, drugs or alcohol. But it's very, very different in that It's hard for non-gamblers to understand how something that never enters your body can have the same impact or worse than things that do like drugs and alcohol. So uh, if you have someone in your life that you think has a problem, if you yourself are going through it right now and you feel like you're not processing gambling in a healthy manner, pick up the phone and call somebody. If you don't think you have anyone to call, 1-800-GAMBLER is a great avenue for you to start with and then we can get you in front of people that can absolutely help you fight and beat this disgusting addiction. And I will say this uh, till I'm dead. Gambling was the biggest part of my life. For almost uh, two years of my life trumped everything else I had going on in the world. And if I can now go almost five years without wagering at any level, you can too. I'm living proof that you can uh, fight this addiction head on. And kick its ass. And if I can do it by all means, you can do it as well. Evan and I are back Monday at 2 o'clock. Joe Beningo is coming up next. Appreciate you listening. Have a great weekend. This has been Hello, My Name is Craig.